Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Today is episode 30, and we have a lot in store for you. Today's guest is someone who's had almost 30 years of experience in the kink and BDSM scene. They held the title of Miss Southern California Leatherwoman 2011 to 2012, and are from the class of Olympus Leather 2011. I'm excited to say that this episode will be split into two parts, so stay tuned for next week's follow-up episode, where we will continue to stay kinky. A short disclaimer, in this episode, we will talk about kinks related to consensual pain and permanent marking scenes. We will also discuss difficult topics related to our guest's experience with a past abusive relationship. If you are sensitive towards hearing discussion about such topics, you may want to listen to another episode. However, I hope that those who do choose to stick around may listen with an open heart and open mind, possibly seeing leather and kink through a new and unique lens. The views and opinions expressed are those of this guest only and do not reflect any official position of the Leather Talk podcast. With that said, I can't wait to share our next guest story with you all. So let's sit back, relax, and get ready for some more Leather Talk. Everybody, this is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020, and today we have Mistress Melissa. Uh, hi, Mistress Melissa. Would you mind introducing yourself, please? Hello, Brandon. My name is Mistress Melissa. Um, let's see. I identify as gender fluid, dominant, pansexual, polyamorous uh, human being, and I started in the lifestyle in 1993. Wow. Um, <laughs> I was born in 1992, not to date you, but you've been around for a while. No, it's perfectly fine. Every every birthday is a celebration. <laughs> that is so awesome. So, uh, do you do you also have any um, like leather titles or anything like that? I did. I did. I was a uh, class of International Olympus Leather in 2011, and I was your Southern California Leather Woman 2011 and 2012. Oh, awesome! Wow, sweet. So, you know, I do want to get into, uh, I, I know you're a uh, kink, very kinky person from what I hear. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, depends on who you ask. <laughs> <laughs> so we will get into that, but uh, I do want to kind of know about your origins. And I wonder if we can just kind of dive into sort of your coming out story. Sure, you can dive into whatever you like. Uh, which portion? <laughs> because when you come out as queer, gay, and you also come out as a kinky person, BDSM or what have you. So there's kind of more than one coming out story. Why don't we start with which, whichever happened first? Uh, let's see. Hmm. I would probably say, well, I came out as, as gay um, in, when I was 23 years old to my parents. And uh, I had a very extreme opposite ends of the spectrum of a response from each parent. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother uh, was very, very upset 
um, and screaming and negative uh, words and things like that um, because I'd already had a girlfriend. Mm. And at that time, you know, way back in that day, I really didn't know what, uh, never heard the term pansexual. So bisexual um, fit a lot more. Um, and I just, I use the term gay as a, like an overall, I'm not straight. Right, okay. <laughs> Whatsoever. I am, yeah, there's a, there's always speckles in my vanilla, you know? <laughs> um, and uh, I had tried to ease her into it. I remember vividly um, that I was standing in the kitchen helping her prepare dinner. And, uh, and she kept asking me who this Amanda girl was that kept calling. And I was like, well, you know, and I kind of tried to ease her into it. I was like, well, you know, she's, she's a friend. Um, and you could kind of see the wheels turn and it kind of clicked. And she's like, when you say friend, do you mean friend, friend, or like a shopping friend? <laughs> and I said, well, we don't go shopping. Oh my. And, uh, and she just had the utmost negative reaction and, um, we can be explicit on here, correct? With language? Oh, absolutely. Okay, fantastic. She goes, oh my fucking God, don't tell me you're a goddamn carpet muncher. And I said, okay, I won't tell you I'm a carpet muncher because that part's really none of your business. Um, <laughs> and she, it was just very, very negative, very negative. And then uh, I had, uh, my my father had just come home from work and I'd, I'd met him at the, the stairs because my house had two stairways up to it. And I was like, hey, dad, I'm gay. And he goes, ah, no shit. Do you want a beer? I mean, it was just like, that's just, we know, we know, you know. And my father still introduces me as the son he never had. He usually does it in front of my two brothers, which is kind of fantastic. Um, and, but I was, uh, with my father, I was always doing a lot more masculine-oriented activities with him, such as, you know, I was the, the, the sibling that was out playing catch with him. I was an athlete for 20 years. We would be, you know, fixing cars and trucks together. I would, one of my jobs at 15 was swinging a hammer on a job site, which was his job site. So it was, it was very much like he was like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> we know. So <laughs> we know. When you, when you were growing up, would you describe yourself as kind of like a like a tomboy kind of esque or, or like more masculine features? I guess the the, the way. You, it was then I would uh I would definitely well I had uh well it was kind of a traditional thing I had very long hair growing up it was down to like um my ass middle of my thighs very very long hair mm -hmm. but I was definitely people just kind of subscribe the tomboy-esque description to me they're like oh yeah she's just a tomboy um I did in high school go through a lot of bullying mm -hmm. Because of my my athleticism, I uh, would come in, there would be like, you know, dyke written on my locker. And of course, I wore makeup, so I would just pull my eyeliner out and be like, at least you could do was spell it right. And I would correct them and then come back later upset. But uh, but yeah, it was, a, I came from a smaller town in the Inland Empire. Okay. So it wasn't necessarily embraced whatsoever to be gay. The Inland Empire can still, like, depending on where you're at, can still be pretty conservative today, right? It's, oh, absolutely. It's extremely conservative. And honestly, you know, even driving to and from different clubs and events and, and um, because I even uh, did an opening night in a club in Riverside called the Citadel, uh, where I did a fire performance and driving through there, I was like, this is just giving me the willies, honestly. Mm -hmm. like. 
like really, really, you know, just kind of was like, there's, there's, there's nothing embraceatory about anybody in my experience. This is all just my experience and my feelings, mm-hmm. but it was, I had to compartmentalize my life very much so for many, 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 many years. So when, when, when you grew up and, and, you know, people kind of classified you as a, you know, a tomboy or people, um, you know, described you as a dyke, um, whether, you know, in, in bullying circumstances, I guess you could say, um, would you say that that was just kind of like your natural, that's the way you naturally felt and presented yourself? Or did you go out of your way or feel like you were going out of your way to like hide from people? Um, I didn't necessarily go out of my way to hide from people. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think it was more of, I just took it. Uh, I, I was a very kind of quiet kind of person as far as my gender, my sexuality, uh, my ad- identification. And I was like, Hey, this is just me. Mm-hmm. If you have a problem with any way that I look or the way that I am being, that says more about you as a person than it does me. I'm going to continue to do me and you continue to do you. And so I just kind of was like that because it was a, definitely a lot of the, a lot of the, the females that, and women that I was um, on the athletic teams with mm-hmm. because small town, you, you, you graduate high school with people you went to like kindergarten with. Right. And you're just like, great. I have to spend the next 12 years with these assholes. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I don't like any of you. And people are like, let's go to our 20 year reunion. I'm like, fuck that. I didn't like you then. I probably ain't going to like it now. I'm not going to be like, oh, look, who do, don't you know who I think I am now? No, it's not even worth it to me. But later in life, I took a lot of that experience and used it as more of an empowerment. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and to help people, you know, like I've always been like, I've reached out to people like who were, I had friends who were the misfits. I was like kind of in that center group of, even though I was an athlete, I was also an academic. Um, I had a very different level of expectation at home and I came to very quickly understand about my peers Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it, it just really drove me to more of an overachiever type a personality and i can still see that pronounce itself in my life today so when you know you're going through high school and and you have your first you know girlfriend and you kind of came out to your parents when did all of this become sexualized for you um was it right away or you're just oh no i i uh i can remember definitely being like a in in grade school and Mm -hmm. being um having crushes on girls and things like that. And, you know, very specifically, you know, girls would be like, what are you looking at? I'd be like, oh, I like your shoes. Like I would totally like try to play it off because being gay was, uh, was, was not cool. There was hate crimes and things like that where I grew up, you know, gay kid gets hit in the face with a brick. Like that's the kind of stuff that I, I grew up with. So I learned how to stay very, very quiet for self-preservation about my sexuality. It wasn't until I was, I was sexually active at 15 mm-hmm. with opposite gender with men. And I was like, okay, you know, but I was, there was always, even at that young age, I was not into anything that was really vanilla. Like it was, there was always some aspect of, of alternative type of sexual practice in the bedroom, whether it was spanking or hair pulling or choking, even at a young age. And I wasn't sexually active with a woman until I was 18. Okay. And that was 
it was the the situation was kind of formatted and I like to I like to joke about that it was kind of gay for pay kind of thing and um <laughs> and I had I had a a boyfriend at the time this girl had a boyfriend at the time she's like you know it'd be hot is if we like we were wearing lingerie and then we started you know like getting all intimate with each other and maybe the guys will get into it and I was like and she was really beautiful. I was like, I'm totally into this. And <laughs> it turned out that um, apparently through their own insecurity, the men in the room were not able to quote unquote perform. Mm. And her and I wound up having a blast and, and it was awesome. And I was like, yes, this, yes, this. <laughs> and I was like, uh, here I am, I've arrived. And it was, I was still, even at that age, I was 18 years old. I was still at that age. I could tell that I was tiptoeing into that experience slowly, but very quickly throughout that experience, I realized that I was definitely the uh, dominant type A personality in the bedroom. So what would you say was your first like uh, real kink experience? I mean, whether or not you even knew it was kinky. Hmm. Uh, well, um, I was about maybe eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. And funny, I got, I got in so much trouble for this. Um, <laughs> my mother was an avid skier. And I remember taking one of my friends, one of my little girlfriends, and, uh, and I hammered one of her ski poles into the yard. And I tied her to it and left her in the yard. And I went inside the house to have sandwiches and like Kool-Aid or something like that. But I could <laughs> still see her because intrinsically I knew I had to keep her safe. And I loved that control factor that, the you know, the, not just the bondage and things like that, but I also loved the control factor of like, now I have you where I want you. You're going to stay there <laughs> until I let you go. <laughs> and um, that was one of my, I would say, earliest ones. And it was funny. Many years ago, I was on the Adam Carolla show. Okay. And, uh, and this is, yeah, a funny story I've shared before. I get there at 7 a.m. I'm not sure if they're going to have audio and video feed. So I'm all dressed just in case there's video, whatever. I have, a, you know, a slave in tow and gear bag, the whole thing. And I'm in the green room and they're like, can we call somebody who you know? And I was like, yeah, you can call my mom. She lives in Tennessee. I'm not from there. <laughs> I was very clear. <laughs> and uh, so I called my mom. I was like, hey, mom, they're going to put you on the radio. And she's like, okay, let me get some coffee. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree in some aspects. <laughs> and so Adam Carolla proceeds to kind of prod her. Like, you know, what did you do wrong, mom? Did you tie her to a crib, blow smoke in her face? And she was like, you better fucking watch your ass, Adam. I'm only a plane right away. He backed up really quickly. And... uh <laughs> It was really hilarious because she proceeds to tell this story on the air of when I was in kindergarten, there was like little logs on the playground that you would sit and eat your lunch on. You know, Mm -hmm. you have your little like, you know, peanuts, lunch pail. And this little boy named Eric wanted to sit next to me. And well, I cold cocked him. I decked him. Boom. Laid him out. Oh, my God. And I made him pay me a quarter every day to sit by me. Wow. And uh, I brought the money home from my desk. I don't remember any of this, by the way. <laughs> and uh, and she's like, yeah, you came home with a pocket full of money. And I was like, where'd you get that money? I said, well, Eric pays me a quarter every day to sit by me. And she goes, give that money back. I know where this is going. I go, you know, tributes have gone up, mom. <laughs> 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 just saying, just saying. 
because I, I, you know, I was also working in professional domination as well. So it was pretty, it was right. a good funny. I, I was just about to say, like, you were a pro dom before you even knew that was a thing. <laughs> I, yeah, right. I think she went straight to like sex worker and prostitution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably what she. Which was I thinking. can see. Right, right. <laughs> because she's uber conservative, but I was like, no, pro dom, pro dom, pro dom. I have friends who do the escorting and that's fantastic. I'm like, good, cool. Come on in and make some money and pinch it for stuff I'm not willing to do. <laughs> they're like, we could, we, everybody wins. You know, that's how I am. I'm a good team player. So when did you figure out the term pansexual? And like, did you go through a whole journey of how to identify as, as pansexual? Or like, was that more organic? Um, It was kind of, uh, it was, okay, so then let me take you back. This was when MySpace was a thing. Oh, I, re- <laughs> I remember MySpace. I miss it so much. <laughs> right? It's a, yeah, MySpace was a thing. And I saw on a friend of mine's profile, pansexual. So I was like, okay, let me Google that. Because if I don't know a terminology or word, I, I like I said, type A personality. I want to research and wring it out and analyze it and pull it apart and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that I can approach, not just be knowledgeable, but also I can approach people in a more respectful way. Right. So I research it. And as I'm reading this, you know, very, you know, not super entailed description. And I was just like, okay. And I'm just like, check, check, check. Hey, that's me. (laughs) 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 Because to me, pansexuality is I am attracted to the person's energy. Okay. Whatever their, their presentation, their container, their, you know, whatever that is doesn't matter to me because I've had partners who, you know, are trans. I've had partners who are older. I've had partners who are younger. I've had partners who are cis femme, cis male. And I was like, yeah, that's yes, because I'm, it's the energy because I'm attracted to a person's energy um, because an asshole is an asshole and that can come with any kind of genitalia. And so you know, my late partner was 30 years my senior. Uh-huh. So I'm not um, I'm not an ageist or anything like that. I'm like, you know, I, wherever a person is, is wherever they are. So it just kind of depends on how they vibe with you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, if their vibration and things like that, like I do have certain constituents for myself because everybody has, some, you know, what they're into and what they're not. Mm-hmm. And I remember this explicitly. I was doing a I was doing a set years ago at Bondage Ball, and I had my partner Charlie B next to me, and I had my slave at the time Bullwhip on the other side of me. Now Charlie was in his sixties, and Bullwhip is in his late fifties. White white hair. One's bald with a gray goatee, and the other one's white hair. And uh, a younger gentleman comes up and goes, "So I see you're into older men." I said, "No, I just have a severe fetish for emotional maturity." and i was like you know for me i'm like yeah you gotta have you know so much life experience for me to entertain the possibility of engagement you like it's not necessarily you got to be this tall to ride this ride but in some aspects yes absolutely right (laughs) probably the tendency is to to be older men have that energy that you're looking for yeah it tends to be um partners that I've had tend to be uh, either my age or older. I have dabbled with partners that are like, you know, five or six years younger than me. But I generally find out that those are more suited to be play partner type relationships. 
platonic play partner type relationships. Mm -hmm. And that works really well. But, you know, I've had some life experiences and stuff like that, that somebody has to kind of meet me in that, that kind of understanding to kind of know kind of how to navigate through certain days on a day to day process. So I have a question here about being you can can ask me anything darling. About being pansexual, because the first time I heard pansexual was actually, again, this is while I was figuring myself out, uh, of course, but, you know, back in high school, I had a a couple girlfriends, and uh, one of them were still like best friends to today, and she came out to me as pansexual a few years ago, and I was like, what the heck is that? You know, and she kind of explained it to me, and it made me think like, and maybe this is just, I don't know. Well, you know, I can walk down the street, basically, and I don't have to know the guy, but if he looks hot, I want to have sex with him. <laughs> like, and I don't okay. need to talk to him, and I don't need to, I, I don't even need to know his name. Uh, like, if mm-hmm. you're hot, and I'm hard, and you're hard, and it, it just works, then we're just, we can fuck, and it'll be fine. So I wonder, right. uh, do people who identify as pansexual also have experiences like that, or do you really have to like sit down and kind of get to know the person first? Well, for me, I I like to sit down and get to know the person. Okay. Because I, I have a saying that like, no matter how hot somebody is, there's probably at least one person on the face of the planet sick of putting up with their shit. And it's probably me. <laughs> because I, 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 I don't have time for games. I don't like small talk. I mean, I've been in situations where I'm at a play party and the scene is going really good. And I'm like, uh, and then fisting gets put, kind of slid nicely onto the table in a very respectful way. And I'm like, uh, yeah, yeah, we can fucking do this. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, we can. But I need to get a sense of the person's energy. I see. I do. And sometimes you do, I do get that when a, when a, a person's walking by and I can admire beauty in all different body shapes and types and colors and things like that. And that's fantastic. But in order for me to really want to, uh, in so many words, get my dick sucked, I really need to know that you're on board. <laughs> you I know see. what I'm saying? Yeah. Absolutely. Like that, that, that resonates with me because I am a person that I don't, I don't lead with my genitals. Okay. Yeah. I've never led with my genitals. I've always led with my energy and my mind. If you can jive with me about really deep conversation, like I want to know what your hopes and dreams are, your astrological sign. I want to know what your successes and your failures are. I want to, how can I help you be a better person? I love, I have a rule that anybody who's ever been with me, trained with me or anything like that, mentored under me, I always have a rule for myself that I leave them better than I found them. Mm, and that goes for relationships role. as well. It's so funny. It reminds me of, um, I, I used to tour with this orchestra. Um, I'm a violinist. And oh, nice. The, the conductor and the leader of the group would always say, leave it cleaner than you found it. And so it just kind of reminds me of like, yep. the same thing with, with yourself when you were talking with people is to leave them better off than the way you found them. Absolutely. Not everybody's journey is going to be you know, a five-year journey with me or a 20-year journey with me or a 10-year journey with me or what have you. Their journey, I just might be a page in that book, Mm -hmm. maybe a couple pages in that chapter. Maybe I'm just a catalyst. I'm always trying to be a positive energy catalyst for growth is my intention and my goal. And even when I've done like training with people, it's like, okay, what's your end game? 
where do you want to go with this? I've had people who are dominants. They want to come and train because they've never trained as an S-type. Okay, fantastic. Um, I have a, a specific tailored training kind of program that I do. And, you know, there's contracts along the way so that not just so they know what is expected and wants and needs and boundaries, but I know what's expected in those wants, needs, boundaries, and expectations. And then we reevaluate in certain periods of time. Right. So, so I'm like, all right, fantastic. It sounds like there's a lot of communication between you and your partners. Absolutely. There, I, I'm one of those weird people. You can never over-communicate and you can never overshare. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways that it leaves you with more freedoms because then you don't have to ask questions when you're in the middle of, you know, or at least so many questions when you're in the middle of a scene with somebody, if you've already discussed all of this stuff. And that's exactly what I like to create. I like to, because at first you have a lot, like for me, it's like your first scene with somebody. You might go through this negotiation for maybe a month. Maybe it's going to be 10 minutes, but you're asking all of these questions and you're building that um, I go through this with my contracts and boundaries class, but you go through this like, like almost like a pinball diagram mm -hmm. and you're building that outer layer. And then the things that come up are the little bumpers that go, Oh, there's something there that we just bounced off of. Okay. That needs to be a later conversation. Mm -hmm. Okay. This, that, and the other to where, when partners really get a lot of that communication down and lay the groundwork for continued communication, then it becomes effortless. Mm -hmm. And there's a freedom in that communication. There's a freedom in saying, I didn't like that without the inhibition of, I'm going to disappoint you if I say I didn't like that because I know you don't like it, that I know you like that. I love single tails. If somebody goes, oh yeah, I know that you love single tails, but I don't like single tails. And I feel like you're, and I've heard this many times over the years. You're a heavy sadist. I'm not a heavy masochist. I don't feel like I'm going to be enough for you. And I'm like, okay, let me stop you right there. I have a fulfilling dynamic when it is in consensual negotiated parameters. I will get off just as much as somebody worshiping my feet as I do a, an amazing flogging session. Mm -hmm. Now, I do have a certain penchant for masochists. And I, I'm not quiet about that. I'm a right. consensual sadist. I'm not a, I'm not a sadist in the Wikipedia definition of like, you know, I like to kick old ladies and choke puppies that that's disgusting. <laughs> and I have no yeah. fucking interest in that. Mm -hmm. Just like, I don't have any interest in the, the masochist. That's like, you know, I'm a pain slut and I have no limits. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. I love that conversation because yeah. I love to teach. Yeah. And I go, so if I took a soldering iron, I stuck it in your tear duct, would you be into it? And they're like, what the fuck? And I'm like, that's a limit. <laughs> there, there's some limits there. They just haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> I'm here. Help me help you. Right. <laughs> you should probably reevaluate the dialogue that you use with somebody like me. Uh -huh. Because, yeah, you, I'll take you straight. If you, are, if you are really pure of intention and a person utilizes it, this is what gets me hot. What The thing that gets me hotter than anything else is respect, integrity, accountability, and communication. Those things get me hotter than anything else. Now, That's insert nice. whatever activities we're doing. It's going to be amazing. Right, right. I can get my, my, my dominant kicks off of teaching somebody how to, to 
load a toy bag because I, I'm a type A personality mm-hmm. and I know I'm a complete pain in the ass to serve. <laughs> <laughs> and, but I would just, that, that, that consensual power dynamic, I love that. Right, right. Starting at at age eight, apparently, <laughs> you like that power. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And that's the thing is like, it's not necessarily that I've I've wanted to control everything there is about what I, you know, the way that I am or life or anything like that. No, 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 no. I like these certain areas that mm-hmm. I know that I can walk into, and this is the thing, and this is how I see it. Okay, life is just a series of unexpected events in many ways. We can prepare for the best, hope for the best, hopefully also prepare for the worst, right? Mm-hmm. We're not mind readers. You know, I, I don't like it when people put an unconsensual expectation on me of being a mind reader. I come close, but I don't, I'm not. But when I step into that area, mm-hmm. it's, there's a safety and, and a security for me and my partner. Because mm-hmm. I, I tell people, sometimes there's days I don't want to be, you know, like I want to sit around in my pajamas and I want to binge watch some Supernatural and I want to just sit here and, you know, I, I just want, no, I don't want to be your mistress today. But when my S-type shows up in the door and kneels, something in me ignites. Wow. And I, I rise to that. And I know that there's times in their eyes that they're just like, okay, I just, I, my, I, my world is upside down. I just had to put my cat down. Maybe my grandmother is sick and this, that, and the other. And then they, they are just all over the place. But when I get to that point where I go and I call for a, a position, that's their center. That's mm-hmm. their safety. That's their security. That's their home. That ignites them. And then that fire can dance between the two of us. That's really awesome. So it's like, it's the energy. It's suiting up and it's showing up. It's absolutely the energy. And I get that. We're all going to have these, we're humans with this wide variety of emotions that we have to navigate through. And when I create that space, that's, that's my intention. I create that space. I, I'm not a dom. I'm not a dominant that like, you know, I have you know, time, I have a saying that it's T and P, time and place. Time and place, right. you can um, you can address anything with me behind closed doors. It's in my contracts. Behind closed doors, as long as protocols adhere to, my ears are open. If you say to me, Mistress, last night I think you were kind of being a bitch. Okay. <laughs> I am one of those one of those mistresses that will go, okay, I hear you, and I will go, why do you think that way? Where, what, what brought you to that? Mm-hmm. You know, and it is, it could be that maybe I was fucking off my game and being unreasonable and this and stubborn and cause I'm a human and I'd be like, and then my first, if that's the situation, I go, okay, check some balances on myself. And I go, you know what? I apologize. That was inappropriate. I don't have an ego problem of apologizing to an S type mm-hmm. or anybody really. I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. And it could be also a situation of, okay, like if I, I barked at one of my S types to move in a certain direction quickly and they got punished for not moving quick enough and they got a verbal reprimand, there might be another environmental reason that they were not 
aware of, such right. as, you know, there might have been a dangerous situation. They might have been almost grabbed or somebody's moving through with equipment or this, that and the other. Because, number one, you protect a property, P.O.P. Mm hmm. Like I've grabbed one of my, my S-Types harnesses and just yanked them out of the way. And they're like, what the hell? <laughs> and I'm like, and I just point my finger and somebody's walking through with a couch and they almost hit him in the back of the head because they were so focused on me, which is not a bad thing, but they forgot to keep that self-awareness of their surroundings. Right, right. And so I go, okay, yes, I can understand why you think that way. Now, let me explain to you why. Mm -hmm. this, 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 and I'll go down the list and they're like, oh, okay, all right. So sometimes uh, there might be right. some misunderstanding there on their part as well. Of course, of mm -hmm. course, and there might be one on mine and getting that clarity in that space is so important, I feel. So it's it sounds, so important. It sounds like you have a lot of, um, I mean, experience with different relationships. What is your relationship mm -hmm. like right now? Do you have like a, a, a primary partner or you mentioned you're polyamorous? Yeah. Um, I have a primary partner that I'm married to. We have been married for, oh God, this is where I'm awful. Uh, we have been married <laughs> since January 11th of 2009. Oh, well, you know the day, you know, the real date. Okay. Yes. I'm totally that. Yeah. I'm totally like the chick in the relationship. Cause he will be like, do you know what today is? And I'm like, uh, day that ends in Y. <laughs> Shit. Where's my calendar? <laughs> what did I miss? Right. No, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, my, my primary partner, Mr. Miles, he is my best friend. He's an amazing father. He has never remotely attempted any kind of quote unquote shot calling type of conversations with me. Mm -hmm. And that really spoke to me. But he accepts anything and everything that goes with me. He knows that I, I was a professional dominant, lifestyle dominant. I had two collared slaves at the time that I met him. One live in, one not live in. And yeah, he was he was still fairly new to things where he made the 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 usual kind of vanilla mistake of like, oh, that's your slave, so that's your girlfriend. I said, No, that's a slave, not a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. It's very different. <laughs> different headspace <laughs> altogether. And so he was very open and willing to learn. And I thought that was fantastic. At our wedding, uh, he and I got married hanging from uh, hooks. What, what do you mean hanging from hooks? <laughs> we did a flesh hook suspension ceremony. Oh my gosh! Wait, oh, yeah. I don't. Is that a thing? Do people do that, or yes. is that something that you yes. did? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, we were members of a performance tribe called Core Constructs of Ritual Evolution. What they do is they take the ancient Manadan Indian tribe practices of hook suspension and they put it to performance art. Ooh. And the first hook suspension I did was with, um, I mean, for lack of a better term, I call him my son, with my late son, Sir Skip Dog. He was a friend. He was a mentee. Uh, he called me Mama Bear. I actually officiated his funeral in 2013. Hmm. And I did my first hook suspension with him. He had cystic fibrosis. And uh, he passed in 2013. And uh, it was a very spiritual, beautiful experience. We started performing with CORE. We'd done shows for LA Leather Weekend when it was at the brewery. It, this is in 2008. Okay. And uh, we'd done several uh, different symposiums of workshops from in like Dungeon Servitus, at Threshold, 
talking about uh, different aspects of technical, spiritual. It's a very spiritual thing for me. But my husband and I, we got married hanging from hooks because I was like, you know what? This is both our second marriages. Let's do it our way. Mm-hmm. So there's there's pictures on my Facebook, but yeah, we got married by my beautiful friend, the Reverend Rob Noxious. Sir Skip Dog pulled my ropes. Uh, Adam pulled his. Meister Schmears threw my hooks. Natalie threw his. It was just a beautiful experience. Mina Desaad was at our, in our wedding, and it was amazing. And my former uh, live-in slave that was he had gotten confused with as my girlfriend was actually my maid of honor. <laughs> so. <laughs> And we invited, it was at Bar Sinister because I was the headmistress of Bar Sinister at the time. And so we didn't really have to decorate the venue. Um, mm-hmm. And we just had, we had an amazing time, an amazing time. My father gave me away at the wedding and his, his uh, key phrase was, this is the first uh, marriage I've ever seen in pain. I guess it can only go up from here. <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely so awesome. fantastic. But I am, I'm Native American and white. I'm mm-hmm. mixed. And so all of, uh, cause I do practice native American medicine as well as leukemia medicine. So it always is very, very much spoke to me because yeah, I'm a spiritualist. You, um, you're not the first person to come on the podcast to talk about the spirit, the spiritual significance of, of hook suspension or, or hook pull. And I can mm-hmm. just only imagine like how much even more special like that wedding, wedding ceremony is if that's what you vibe with and, and you have that huge spiritual connection now like kind of bringing you together in this union oh absolutely absolutely and and like i said he we are both very similar in Mm -hmm. in um in many ways in our personality we're both workaholics (laughs) he is uh i always give him the credit that he is my editor because i have uh it's not an unknown thing that I do have a mouth on me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and at certain points, fire does come out of that mouth. That he is the one that kind of is, goes, yeah, so we're going to take it down a notch. He's the one that gets me calm <laughs> and kind of, yeah, people can really just, I mean, just send him thank you cards for their lives. Just to, you know, just mail them on over. Thank you very much. Because I do have a, um, I have a sharp tongue. Mm-hmm. I have a very sharp tongue. Well, it sounds like he balances you out quite well then. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm like, I like to joke and people are like, you know, he knows his wife is gay. Right. And he right. goes, I don't know how I got, I don't know how I got the access codes. I'm like, cause you're amazing. You know? And, uh, he, he was actually very, very new to polyamory. When we first, uh, got together, I stepped into monogamy with him and I was like, okay, and the conversation kind of went like this, you know, because I had uh, a few months before I had uncollared my live-in slave uh, for different personal reasons. You know, she she had gotten to a point where she was switching and then kind of forgetting who her key holder was. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it happen time and time again. I was like, you know what? You're there. I get it. I've been there myself. Right. You know, this d- dynamic needs to evolve into you go be a switch. Like, Grow. Yes, please. I encourage that. And my uh, my first colored, who was not a live-in, I had I had actually called him, and I had you know we'd had a conversation, and I said this person just you know I'm gonna deserves my attention. He was like fantastic. I wish you the best, and it was really really great. And then uh, we were I was always still poly play, polyamory, polysexual, poly play has always been three very different defined sex. 
in my life. Mm-hmm. My husband and I, we became friends. We became play partners. And the energy that he possesses hit me like a train. And I'll tell you a funny story. I was working at Sinister and I was, you know, I would be in fetish heels from like 10 o'clock in the morning all the way to 2.30 in the morning. And I was, I'm always forever complaining about my feet. <laughs> well. and, uh, and he didn't realize that I was only five foot. That's, that was the funny part. And he's like, well, go ahead and take your shoes off. And so I took my shoes off and he looked down and he was like, oh. I was like, yeah, no, I'm not 5'7". <laughs> <laughs> I'm however tall I am plus whatever heel I have on. Yeah. Right. You want me to be 5'3"? I can do that. 5'8"? can do that too. <laughs> and so I was like, I really need a foot rub. And he's like, oh, I've never done this before. And I was like, great, fantastic, moldable clay. And, uh, and so I took him over in the corner because he's very shy, actually. And the first thing I didn't have to yell at him was heel strap. That's points for you. Because inevitably, a lot of people, they, they, wanna, they are in a hurry to get to the foot part and they forget how to take a shoe off. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> And when he put his thumbs through my foot, I felt it all the way to my crown chakra. Wow. And I was like, wow. And then throughout the, the, the session of him just giving me a foot massage, I almost came like three times in public. And I was just like, he's like, am I doing this right? I'm, yes. Yes, you are. Keep whatever <laughs> you're doing, just continue. And I'm like, I'm at work. I'm at work. I'm at work. Oh my God, I'm at work. And I was like sliding down on the couch, sitting back up, posturing, <laughs> sliding down on the couch. And it was an amazing first experience with, with energy. And then I took him into the play space for the first time. And we very quickly went up through, uh, and it was just impact on the back and went up through uh, warming up with hands, floggers, and we very quickly progressed to a dragon's tail. Hmm. And he is very aware of his energy. And I, we were just doing energy play and everything like that. And I was just like, this is a person I can dance with. Wow. <laughs> yes, please. And it was, it was amazing. So he went from kind of like, would you say like a vanilla monogamous kind of person and kind of, did he sort of discover himself through you, through this relationship? Um, I think he's discovered a lot about himself through this relationship. Uh, when mm-hmm. I met him, he used to do a lot of photography in the transgender community for pageants and things like that for the Queen USA and stuff like that. And so I would go over to, you know, he'd invite me over to events. So I would go over there, come and support. I'd go out to like Cobra, come out and support. He would come to Club Hell, Sinister, Fetish Nation, a lot of the other clubs and come and support. And so there was, I've always been, a person who's been very comfortable, you know, crossing in many different communities and areas and stuff. I'm like, Hey, I'm here. Hi, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) It's me again, you know, and it was fantastic. And I was like, okay, cool. So he was always already very Mm open-minded and that was a very big deal for me because I'd already dealt with in the past of Partners saying they're open-minded. You get down the way six months to a year later, and then they realize it. Like, what? What do you mean? That's what you do? Right. Like, oh my god! I was one of my former partners called me a stripper with a whip, and I about came over a table at him and knocked his teeth down his throat. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because like some some people just don't understand. Like, it's not even a concept they've considered before that like it's either you're a stripper or you're 
not. <laughs> you're either a stripper or an escort. And that's usually right. <laughs> the generalized myth. And I'm like, no, I mean, strippers are awesome. I love them. Uh, escorts are awesome. I love them. We're all under the same sex worker umbrella. There's, there's BDSM, there's BDSM and porn, there's porn, there's strippers, there's escorts, et cetera, et cetera, modeling. There's a lot of different things that go on underneath this sex worker umbrella. Mm -hmm. My mainstay has always been in the BDSM area. And that, that's been professional lifestyle and public performance. I've always done those three concurrently, which they're very different. <laughs> so I noticed earlier you mentioned that you have children is that correct? Yes, it is. So you you and your partner kind of being into the whole BDSM scene, uh, how do you how do you communicate that to your children without necessary? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming maybe not necessarily being too explicit. Um, yes, I, I get that question a lot. We are what I like. We are a sex positive household. OK, um, but no, my my children know what I do. They don't know the uh, sexual context in which I do it. I see. Does that make sense? They know that I, I, my 10 year old has been to more hook suspensions than most adults. Wow. And it's just, it's a very matter of fact, uh, the way that I came out to my oldest, my oldest is 20 and the way that, and this might help maybe other, other kinky parents. The way I explained it to her was, uh, you know, that I do performances, fire performances and stuff like that. And she goes, yeah, I know that. And I was like, well, um, sometimes those characters on stage, they come with like titles, like old English titles. So like you would call a duchess, a duchess, a baroness, a baroness and things like that. And I said, you know, like the Sleeping Beauty cartoon, whereas Maleficent and the three fairies were known as mistress. Right. And it's the only Disney movie that uses the word mistress, by the way. And I said, she goes, well, what's what's she was very direct. She goes, so what's your title? I said, well, uh, mistress. Because I knew we were going out to dinner and people were going to say, hey, mistress, stuff like that. So I wanted to kind of prepare her. Oh, I see. And I said, sometimes the characters we play on stage, we are in those personas part of the time, 24-7, et cetera, et cetera. And she's like, okay, I get it. And she was like maybe 10 at the time. And she was like, so you are dominant or submissive? And I was like, ooh, somebody's been on Google. And, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're doing this. I said, I'm more of a dominant. I'm a dominant. She's like, oh, okay, I get it. She's like, so what does that mean? I said, I derive pleasure from people consensually giving me control to guide them through their lives. Oh, that's a really good way to put it. That's really articulate. Thank you. And she was like, oh, I get it. I said, just like in martial, when I studied martial arts, you, you know, you have a sensei, you have a student. It's very, very similar to that. Now, the vehicles and, and ways that we provide that connection are much more of an adult content. Mm -hmm. So those are ask me when you're 18 questions. And she goes, I probably won't need to ask you when I'm 18. I said, exactly. Um, <laughs> but I have actually, I have three children. I have three children. Uh, they're 20, 10, and 4. And there's always been protocol, verbal protocol, physical protocol around my kids. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and when I lived in LA, my house in LA, none of my S types had ever in barring medical situations. They never sat on my furniture. It is a thing. I even made like subby pillows and stuff like that when we would have movie nights. Cause you know, I'm that way. Um, and they're, they were just like, Oh, that's your submissive so-and-so. And I'm like, yes. And they're like, okay. 
So they're like staff. And I'm like, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I really I really like that you said uh, the dominant, the way you described it as consensual and guiding. Absolutely. I personally, um, and it's very rare that I, I use the term because I said so. I didn't like that shit said to me when I was a kid. And I certainly don't like using it as an adult right. <laughs> because everything that I do is with intention. Mm. Everything that I do is with intention, whether or not my S type is aware of it. Everything I do is with intention, whether it's from adjusting the position of hands, feet, body, standing, walking, presenting, in play, in out of play. Everything has an intention. If you don't have an intention and a reason, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. I and one of those people that I completely abhor people who call themselves a dominant and they're just really bitchy. That to me is such a turnoff. Like I, I generally speaking, I make, I make fun of a lot of uh, usually femdoms <laughs> because mm-hmm. I can, um, <laughs> but like, okay. I, and I've taught this in class, picture this when I teach etiquette, woman walks in wearing leather with a mistress collar that says mistress on it. With the air of, you are all, all right, slave, you will all bow down to me. Would you want to serve that bitch? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can take you where to put the, and tell you where to put that crop. But. So, I mean, in some ways, does that need to be earned? I think respect is always earned. Mm-hmm. And respect is a two-way street. Now, when I was coming up, I was told that the best bottoms make the best tops. <laughs> which computed for me because I was raised by Marines. Mm. And the way that I equated that is I don't go in the Marine Corps expecting to be a warrant officer the first day. No, you're going to start out as a PFC. You're going to work your way up, et cetera, et cetera, and earn your stripes. And I literally did. Mm-hmm. And I heard that the best bottoms make the best tops. And I found that very true for myself. Out of all the time that I've been in the scene, the lifestyle, I spent nine years cumulatively as a submissive slave switch and bottom. And I put myself 100% into each role that I could possibly be in. And I learned a lot. I learned about what I like, what I don't, what I want to be like when I grow up. And uh, more importantly, what I don't want to be like when I grow up. Right, right. So you gave it, you gave it a, every role, I guess you're saying you, you gave equal amount of focus. Absolutely. I gave it as, as much as I was capable of, I gave it an equal amount of time, dedication and action because dedication without action is just words. Mm-hmm. And when I was a, a bottom, I was a very good bottom. I bought him for, you know, and I say that humbly, but I bought him for Sir Nick for about five years on stage every weekend at Dungeon. And it's funny because initially to go on stage, I, I went and chatted up a girl to get in her pants. <laughs> unbeknownst to me, she was friends with him and she's like, you'd look really hot on stage. And I was like, oh, tell me what I got to do to get there, darling. <laughs> and, and I wound up that, yeah, like that night or the next weekend getting my ass completely handed to me. And I was just like, oh, OK, this is all right. Yeah, we can do this. Not a problem. Right. right. And uh, and so as dramatic as he is, was breaking shit on me. Like, who the fuck are you? And I was just like, Hey, I'm open, you know, cause I didn't <laughs> want to come into the LA scene, you know, back in that time, it wasn't like, Oh, here's my resume. Let me lay my dick out on the table. Right. It was, you know, he was like, gave me a 10 second interview of what do you like? What do you do? What do you don't do? And I said, I'm open. Hmm. And he gave me the safety gesture and I was like, let's dance. That's his, that was my first scene 
on an L.A. stage. That's how that wow. went. And then we went straight from there was whips, canes, paddles, like the whole thing. Like I was black and blue from my shoulders all the way down to my calves. Wow. That's intense. And I was like, cool. I wore it like a trophy. And I loved it. You know, I was never in a DS situation with him. It was always T and me, top and bottom. And I think that's why we're still friends. Um, <laughs> but, you know, over time, I had gotten into, I was a professional switch at the Chateau. I started out as a heavy bottom because while I was performing on stage, uh, one lady comes up, the original mistress, and she goes, you know, you're a heavy bottom. You can make a lot of money doing this. I said, well, I like paying bills. Let's talk more. <laughs> and so she got me a job at the Chateau as a professional bottom. And I did make a lot of money. And then I worked my way up to a professional switch. And I was like, fantastic. And then I took a hiatus uh, to get sober. And then I came back to it. And before then, I'd gotten into a lifestyle MS uh, dynamic, live in MS dynamic, me the S type, which ended very, very badly. It ended uh, in domestic violence. Mm. Um, and that was that was where I learned how not to treat a slave. That was probably a more valuable lesson than any other protocol that I could ever imagine. And so I had gotten sober, gotten out, away from that situation. And then I came back to Los Angeles and started performing as a switch, got my job back at the Chateau Professionals, which very shortly thereafter, my my boss, Sir James, the owner of the Chateau, said, you're a mistress. There's There's no switch. And there's no switch left in you. <laughs> and I said, okay. And um, I probably accredit him. You know, I learned a lot from a lot of different people because mm -hmm. I would watch and I would emulate and I would, you know, because nobody really ever sat me down and said, this is how you throw a flogger. This is how you throw a whip. I had to do a lot of trial and error. Um, and I spent the time doing it. Like I, I threw a, I threw a whip for six months before I put a person in front of it. Mm -hmm. And I mean like every day at the Chateau, cause you know, pros got a lot of downtime. So I'd be in there again, you know, throwing it against like, you know, quick links on a suspension rack or, you know, and just working and working and working. Uh, but he gave me the title of mistress and I was like, fantastic. Then I started what I, I he's like, you've earned it were his words. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and a lot of people have a, do a lot of different assorted opinions about Sir James, and that's their experience. My experience, he was an amazing mentor to me. Mm -hmm. And Sir James was actually Betty Page's former master before she went and shot with Irving Claw in New York okay. back in the day. That's my lineage. Um, that's my mentor. And we would sit down and he would show me all of the memorabilia and the clips and the this and the this that people were like, oh, he's full of shit. Well, yeah, when you have somebody who has like the, you know, something that's kind of a super outrageous background, people go, oh, yeah, that can't be true. And it, I actually saw the documentation and it was very much so. And uh, mm -hmm. I will always have a beautiful place in my heart for the man. I learned a lot from him. And then when he, after he gave, like, that's how he came up. He was actually, my mentor was a member of the Chateau de Rossi in France, which the story of O, written by Pauline Rios, which is one of the, the pieces of literature that's very, very popular in BDSM culture, is actually written upon a true story. Of course, it's, you know, a little bit, Pauline Rios is a pen name, but he was a member of the Chateau de Rossi in France. 
And even like a lot of the, the financial backing and stuff like that for the Chateau was actually done through the Order of Recy. And he had to go to France to ask permission to use the name. So there's a lot of history there. And I would just sit there like a kid at a candy store, just absorbing every little tiny piece of sharing and information and knowledge that this man imparted on to me. And he was amazing. And then soon after that, I had my first MS dynamic with my first slave. You know what I, I think is really awesome is what kind of you were saying is like how he had to go to France to kind of use that title and, and how, you know, you, you spend all this time learning so many things from, from this lineage, as, as you say. It really shows that, you know, being a part of BDSM culture, at least in your experience, means being a part of a legacy and being a part of something bigger than yourself. Absolutely. And I, it's interesting because I, I see a lot of people that are like, you know, like, <laughs> oh, what is this, like all this BDSM stuff and this leather stuff is, you know, fairly like they're new to it. I'm like, this yeah. has been going on since the dawn of time. No, really. Look at a lot of Greco-Roman like art and things like that. You can look at Renaissance art. If you know what you're looking for, you can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've read uh, the Marquis de Sade. I have the Marquis de Sade. I've read Sasha von Masak, um, and which is where we have the terms, you know, sadist and masoch- sadism and masochism that come from. Right. And so I spend a lot of time. I always consistently reading and researching. Um, you know, a lot of different leather lifestyle handbooks and this, that, and the other. And I was like, okay, all right. I like that. I like that. I like that. I can take that, leave the rest, you know. And that's what I always tell people is whatever you're going to read, read it with a grain of salt. Put it through several filters. I then proceed. Because the way that I run my household is not the way that everybody else runs their household. And that's okay. That's the beautiful thing about this is that that's okay. They run a DS household, they run a poly household, a mono household, they run a hinge poly situation, they run uh, a pack, they run a tribe, they run a leather, you know, an old school, old guard leather household. Okay, got it. How are you executing all of those principles? Does it have integrity? Does it have accountability? Does it have respect? Awesome, go for it. I'm not here to yuck your yum. What, what I really admire is how you said that even from the bad experiences that you learn from them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is a learning experience. That's how I take it. Everything is a lesson. Um, I am the last person in the world that's ever going to say I know everything there is to know about anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you you know, we, we, we talk about all of these kind of your journey going through the BDSM scene. And you mentioned, you know, you have your primary partner. Do you, do you have any other partners currently? I do, actually. I do. Um, whereas a lot of times people will look on my five page and they'll see this extensive list of people. And those those dynamics, they some of them are still in place. Like I still have a baby girl. She is in San Jose. And uh, her name is Sarah. She's a beautiful, beautiful, amazingly talented acupuncturist. Um, I also have my boy, Pony, who has been with me, I'm going to fuck this up, for about 10 years. Okay. Um, And, you know, we've vacillated through life. And, like, he is my heart. He is my heart. Hmm. Um, He is married to uh, Elliot, who is uh, Mr. Ellie Leather currently. And they also have a service boy, Yossi. And so when we um, we all atta- we attended IML last year, I was uh, 
handling for Elliot. And uh, I was like, so I'm going to take the grandbaby out. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, and he was like, you're like my grand sir. I'm like, am I your granddom or grand sir? He's like, you're like my, you're my grand sir. (laughs) And I was like, I like that. (laughs) So it was like this beautiful generational thing. And I'm like, that's absolutely fantastic because I have, yeah, he, he's just amazing, amazing. Like when uh, we were first together, he was so very quiet and it was almost like he wouldn't speak unless spoken to. And one of the funniest stories, uh, I was teaching a paddling class at uh, Bordello of Decadence and I, I had him load the toy bag and I was like, get the, get the aluminum paddles out of the freezer. And you could just see the lip go, mistress? the freezer and yeah uh, yeah my aluminum paddles i usually keep them in the freezer and um i'm right next to you know chicken it's cool (laughs) (laughs) that's just my house i have i have bondage photos all over my house like you walk into my house and you know what kind of person lives there right (laughs) and um I have gay flags out like if i put i have you know my pansexual pride leather flag i have all that up if I had all my flags up, my house would look like a gay Waldorf Astoria, honestly, <laughs> with a Jolly Roger. But um, and so I'm going through the entire workshop and this, that, and the other, and we get up to the the heavier portion, and the stage is wood, and that comes into play in a minute. And he's standing there holding the horse, bent over the horse. And I said, "Okay, pony, are you ready?" And I smacked the two aluminum paddles together, which reverberated extremely loud in the workshop to where like ear piercing and his little legs started shaking like she's gonna hit me with this (laughs) (laughs) and I was like and I was like all right we're gonna count it I was like three two and I threw the paddles against the, the floor of the stage and I said, okay, we're done. And he just crumpled and he started crying. He's like, oh my God, miss. <laughs> so, because of course, I wasn't going to hit him that hard with those paddles, but I wanted to mind fuck him a little bit because I, I, I enjoy that immensely. <laughs> you, well, you really are a sadist. <laughs> oh, yes. And he was just like, that was kind of fucked up, mistress. <laughs> and I was like, I know. <laughs> Yeah. And then I just sat on the stage and held him while he cried on my shoes. It was awesome. (laughs) He's like, you know, with the lip like, I was like, that's awesome. Winning. (laughs) But yeah, I have those particular uh, current dynamics right now. And so those have been beautiful. And the way that we have evolved through life has been absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely amazing. You know, it's so fun. I, I just love how you, 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 you get enjoyment out of kind of just mind fucking people. <laughs> and, um, oh, God, yeah. <laughs> so uh, when, when it comes to, to yourself, um, are, do you have any other like, kinks or fetishes, um, you know, on your own? You, you, I think you mentioned fisting earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, the short list is really what I'm not into. <laughs> okay, let's go there. That's the short, short list. Heart, my hard limits are any BDSM or sexuality with the inclusion of children or animals. Okay. Um, anything that is not consensual or respectful. My hard limits also include jealousy, uh, possessiveness, because we practice compersion in my household, which is the polar opposite of jealousy. Um, my main, I guess you could say my main top fetishes um uh, i identify as a heavy snm top i have like a whole rainbow of flags that i would be flagging um 
I love fisting, spanking. I am a spankophile to my innermost core because my hands are my toy bag. I never leave home without. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love uh, mine. I love bathroom control protocol. I love leather is one of my personal fetishes. That is one of my olfactory fetishes. I am a smoking fetishist. Okay. Like, uh, I can get into a whole fantasy about that. And um, I do smoke. I smoke cigarettes. I smoke cigars. Um, And are you smoking now? I absolutely am. (laughs) (laughs) I, I'm chain smoking, right? I'm smoking like a broke stove. <laughs> um, but I love uh, anal control. Uh, I love genitorture. I love bondage, uh, rope suspension, decorative bondage. I love electricity. I love cutting. I love piercing. I love branding. Oh, I actually flag for branding. Okay, most so people don't know. That. I feel like if I let you go on, it won't be here for another hour. So let me ask you a couple questions. That's about a good the possibility. I told you the shortlist <laughs> is what I'm not into, Brandon. So I, I, I don't think I've heard very much personally, and 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 especially not on the podcast, a lot about the the smoking fetish or the branding <laughs> fetish. Can we talk a little bit about those two? Oh yeah, absolutely. Branding. Mm-hmm. I love the the I love the meticulousness of branding. I love the smell of branding. It smells like fried bologna. It's amazing. Um, I love the permanency of branding. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a very very specific kind of fetish. So how does a branding scene look? It looks very similar to a piercing scene. Um, okay. with, uh, with a lot of medical setup, <laughs> for most of your, what your setup is going to look like is aftercare Okay. for me. It's aftercare because you have to treat the burn. You have to clean it. You have to dress it, et cetera, et cetera. I enjoy all of that as well. Cause I'm a medical fetishist big time. Um, the smell of antisepsis kind of is a turn on. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm like, oh, yes. So during this pandemic and like all of the cleaning agents, I'm like, oh, awesome. <laughs> I never thought of that. Masks, <laughs> masks, what style would you like me to wear? <laughs> you know, that's so funny that you say that because as soon as people started wearing masks, I was like, oh, that guy looks sexy. And then I'm like, wait, I actually don't know what he looks like. <laughs> I think he's hot with the mask on. <laughs> oh, no, I, I joke at work where I'm like, dude, they're like masks. I was like, Bitch, I will come in in a full latex gas mask with some ponytails hanging out. Right. I- <laughs> like, <laughs> this will happen. They're like, oh, tone it down, Melissa. <laughs> like, don't give me any green lights because I will go. But um, I have I have black leather, uh, black leather surgical masks, uh, black leather aprons. I love speculums. Uh, yeah, I love doing urethral sounding, uh, saline infusions, like all of that. But with branding, I like the control that I need to exude in order to have that brand come out exactly. And I like hot strike branding. I don't do cautery, cautery pin branding. What is the difference between those two? Uh, a cauterization pen is like, basically it's like an electronical pen that you can just kind of like, it clicks as you go okay. and you could draw, you can do designs. I don't have an artistic hand. Okay. I have much more of like a geometrical hand. And so I like to do like, you know, I do chakral stuff with branding. Um, I do hot strike branding, which the irons are already formatted. 
because I only I don't need it for that long. So you're just like heating up an iron rod and then just. Yeah, and those can be in like different designs. It's a it's called hot strike branding. And I started actually doing hot strike branding when I was working cattle in college. Like irons in a fire. I usually use a blowtorch, so that way you know you don't have to have an open flame and it gets the iron hotter. And then that's that that initial strike that wins the person. And then after three seconds, the nerves are cauterized and they just kind of melt underneath you. Wow. It's just absolutely fantastic. So do you do you lead up to this? Is there any like lead up or, or like a mind fuck like you were doing, you know, with Pony on stage kind of thing? Or is it just naturally going to be a mind fuck because you know that this is going to happen? Um, I don't really incorporate mind fucking with the branding because it takes such a mental preparation for the person mm-hmm. before they get there. And that's a mental process that I don't want to necessarily manipulate. Got it. I'd, in, a, in any kind of like fear or terror play kind of way. So I tend to put a space in between those. Whereas when I'm going into a branding scene, it's very similar to um, a cutting scene. I want them relaxed. I want them wanting it. I want them excited about it. I want them in a positive headspace. Uh when I'm done with the branding, just like it can be a cutting or a piercing, how they release is how they release. And I create a space, safe space for that. It could be they release with anger. They release with tears. They, they release with orgasm. They start laughing. Like there's a lot of different methods of release. And I, I welcome all of them. So why would somebody choose to be branded? It's a matter of taste, just like a tattoo. Uh, it can be a matter of taste. It can be a matter of uh, owner property. Um, I have not ever branded my property because I haven't had anybody who has been in that space to earn that with me. Okay. But yeah, I have done mostly artistic branding with people. Like I branded the word slave on somebody. I helped brand the word slave on somebody's back. I branded uh, paw prints, helped brand paw prints on Sir Skip Dog's chest. Like, um, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely fabulous. Wow. Wow. I, I guess I'm just trying to wrap my head around. I, I, I can barely even do the needle at the doctor. <laughs> like I have to mentally prepare <laughs> okay. myself for that. So <laughs> Right. And that just, just taking that example of that preparation of headspace that you have to do just for a doctor visit. There's also a process that a person goes into with piercing, branding, hooks, tattoos, anything that's like a body modification, Mm -hmm. because it is a modification. That is also a process. I like to have it very, very positive. And what was the, what was the other fetish you asked me about? Um, Smoking? Smoking, yeah. Smoking. Mm. Let's see. Let's go really deep with this one. I enjoy smoking originally for the fetish because... For so long, it was considered taboo for women to smoke. Ah, there's some, some kind All of social All the way back construct. in the history. In the, oh, yes. There's historical context. I smoke not just because I'm addicted to it. I smoke because it's empowering. I smoke because it, it controls my social space. Mm-hmm. People tend to not get 18 inches from my face when I have a lit cigarette in my hand. So that's yet one more thing in, in, in your control when you have a cigarette in your hand. Absolutely. Ah, and I, I like smoking during sex. I, what a, one of my favorites here, here, we'll go into a fantasy here. Are you, are you going to go with me, Brandon? Oh, I'm coming with you. All right. Fantastic. So uh, my slave at the time, we go out to, um, 
a female identified only uh, getaway in the desert, summer camp. It's called Desire. It's my first Desire. We had a hotel room and stuff like that. And she was just, you know, it's just amazing. You know, I can go into it, but what goes on in Vegas stays in Vegas kind of thing. All right. So we get back to the hotel room and we've been, I've been playing. I'm, I'm doing like 15 like pickup scenes. Somebody comes up, hey, do you want to play? Yes, I do. Let's negotiate. Boom, 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 boom. Having a great time. We get back to the hotel room. I said, now we're going to play. She was a rope fetishist. So I bind her, have aggressive sex with her. And then by the end of it, I'm standing there with just my boots, my cover, and my strap-on on, smoking a cigar while she cleans my strap-on. Wow. With her arms bound behind her back. Wow. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I, I never I never knew it went that deep, I I guess. I maybe I just never considered oh, that. Yes. I <laughs> I especially when somebody's orally servicing me mm-hmm. is my favorite time to smoke. Wow. I'll just sit the ashtray right on my stomach next to me and I'll just sit there and be like, Okay, let's see what kind of let's see your best work. <laughs> so this is sort of like a, another tool for the, the kind of, I guess, what, what what would be the word? Um, it allows you to exercise your desire for power. Absolutely, absolutely. I did um, I did a several smoking fetish video. I did a whole bunch of videos back in the early two thousands, okay. like hundreds of them, um, and. Uh, and we went through one of those smoke and I sat there and it was, it was funny because they're like, okay, so you're going to have to chain smoke on camera for an hour. I said, not a problem. <laughs> I love that. Like smoking sessions. I've done five hour chain smoking sessions. Wow. And I'm like, fucking bring a, bring a half a carton of cigarettes. Cause we're going to dance. And they're like, what? I'm like, oh yeah. I love smoking. I love, I think the smoke is sexy. It is a turn on. I like that. It brings me back to kind of sometimes that seedy, you know, like clubbing environment, you know, and if I'm smoking cloves, it reminds me of my goth club days where no matter what's going on in your life, you always go to like a goth club. And once you smell, you see the eyeliner, the black clothes, smell the patchouli and the clove cigarettes, you're home. <laughs> and it's that, that olfactory trigger. and you know, I've heard women don't smoke. Well, this one does. <laughs> and who said I was all woman? <laughs> and they're like, I'm very like upfront. I was like, you know, where I'm just like, I'll take a drag and be like, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and blow it in their, their general direction. <sighs> really? Okay. Do go on. <laughs> and it also provides me a space of pause. Mm-hmm. That because I have such a fiery mouth. That when I smoke a cigarette, it makes me stop because I go a thousand miles an hour all the time. And it gets me to stop for three minutes, reevaluate where my feet are, collect whatever I'm going through, and then go into what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I have OCD, so it's actually helped with that aspect as well. So, you know, it's, it's so funny that you kind of talk about it being... Um... I guess kind of cool, you know, especially for a woman to be smoking, coming from the social construct that you grew up with. Uh, It's so funny because I was talking to my friend the other day who uh, he's maybe 38, 40, maybe. And he has a couple Mm -hmm. kids and his kids go, 
dad, why do you smoke if it's not, you know, if it's not healthy for you? Because they learned it in, in school. And he goes, well, no, it might not be healthy for you. But what they're not telling you in school is that smoking is cool. <laughs> yeah, because it looks cool and it feels good. Yeah. No. <laughs> but now it's always been, uh, there's always been a level of, of empowerment when I smoke. Um, and even when like, uh, and it's funny because many years ago, I've been on We Network. I did MTV. I did HBO's Real Sex. I've done like the, the larger kind of media stuff. And I will negotiate for a cigarette break. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm in a, like, I'm smoking, you decide when that's going to be appropriate for you. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> if you're cool with it in the studio, even better. It's so funny, too, because like the time that you came from, probably like there was like no restrictions on smoking, right? Like for the longest time. No, there wasn't. Yeah, no, you could smoke in restaurants. And does that bother you that, you know, there's all these restrictions now or or is it you oh, just kind of going all. with the flow? Not at all. Yeah. No, I just I, I mean, I think that and this leads into a lot of my feelings. I think that if people are going to go the distance they need to be able to grow and be flexible and to change with things. Like, no, it doesn't bother me that you can't smoke in a restaurant. It's really not that big of a deal. I can get up, excuse myself, and walk outside. Right. Really? Is 20, is 20 feet going to make or break me today? No, it's 20 feet. And it's a perspective issue, I think, uh, that a lot of people miss <laughs> that right. perspective because they're so they're they're like horses with blinders on like this is how we've always done it well that's not how it's done now you can either learn or you're the the road's gonna get narrower right right now depending on when this podcast episode comes out uh you'll hear anna algos miss sanctuary 2020 and one thing that she says that i will always keep in my mind she goes you know some things back then are not not good today lead paint for example (laughs) right yeah, asbestos. Yeah, that yeah. worked out well. Um, <laughs> and no, I don't think that is it, it is no way, shape or form am I condoning cigarettes or smoking. It, it is bad for health. Absolutely. But um, the way that I completely justify my smoking <laughs> is that I have I have 14 and a half years in recovery. Mm hmm. Coffee, cigarettes, and BDSM are the last vices I've got. Right. I'm good. <laughs> we should have. I, I'm you, doing uh, okay. You should write a book called "Coffee, Cigarettes, and BDSM" by Mistress Melissa. I've heard that a couple times that I should write a book. <laughs> Some of my coworkers are like, "They'll just learn something new about me today." Today is learning something new about Melissa, and they're just like, "You should write a book." And I was like, "I've heard that, right. but I don't have the attention span to sit still for that long." Right, um, right. You need an editor, someone that's going to sit there and type as you talk. <laughs> that was crazy. I, we tried that one time with one of my mentees. She was a writer. God bless her. And uh, she even gave me a recorder. And I'm like, "Dude, I'm like stuck." Right, right. <laughs> Because I have, I have ADD, ADHD, and OCD. CDO, if it's in alphabetical order. Well, I think you got the the social media and the HBO and and all of that stuff going for you then, since you know this is more of your element. I think. Yeah, it's it's you got to keep my attention. You got to <laughs> keep my attention. It's not that I get bored very quickly. I just tend to 
run through things. I'm like, okay, yeah, we did that. Okay, check. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get off of kinks, um, I like to, I've been asking people, you know, this in the last, I don't know, four or five episodes or so. Uh, I call it kinks gone wrong. Do you have any uh, funny stories related to kink? <laughs> um, yes. Yes, I do. Um, okay. So <laughs> uh, this happened, I want to say it's about six years ago. Mm-hmm. It's more zeroing down what the funniest thing would be. So one of my other S-types, she's kind of gone off and done her own thing. And I, that's fantastic. We had never been um, an uh, DS situation. So she had hinted about heavy degradation and strap on play. Okay. Okay. And I'm like, great, check, check, and check. And I have a skill that sometimes people will mention things to me and I just kind of put it on a mental post-it because I have an office supply fetish as well. And I'll pull that shit out on like a year later when they least expect it. So over the course of time, and so we sat down and I negotiated specifically what this scene was going to look like. When I go into a heavy degradation scene, you better give me some hard limits because everything's going to come out of my mouth. And and she gave me none. It was very, everything was detailed down to, I'm going to saran wrap you to a table. I want you, we're going to do enema torture. I mean, everything was absolutely negotiated and detailed down. Safe words, everything. And we'd been together like seven or eight years at this point. So it was not a new dynamic. This was not like, what the fuck just happened? So we get to the dungeon and I have her do, I saran wrap her to the table, you know, standing over the table, legs down on the floor. And I saran wrap her to the table. I should have thought better than to saran wrap her first. (laughs) I was like, oh, wait, shit. I did two bags of enema on her. Oh, my. A little bit of uh, stomach punching. Wait a second. So she's holding an enema in while she's saran wrapped? Yes. Okay, this sounds like a disaster. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it actually wasn't it wasn't the disaster you're thinking of. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to take a little break right there and end our part 1 for this week. If you're interested in hearing the rest of this story and a few other stories, please stay tuned for next week's episode, part 2 with Mistress Melissa. As always, don't forget that in the midst of COVID-19, there are several organizations within the Los Angeles leather community that are here to help. The LELC Cares, Boulevard Pantry, and LE Leather COVID-19 Assist. If you or anyone you know is in need, please reach out. I will have links in the description below. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet, and Facebook as Brandon Bullet. Don't forget to rate and subscribe. And as always... Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.